welcome to the second episode of Talking Shop, the BCO's new series of uh, discussions with BCO members and the next gen. And I'm delighted today to, to welcome us uh, in this conversation, Johansi Harper, an associate partner at Quadrant Estates. Uh, I'm Ken Giannini, one of the directors of MCM. Johansi is an associate partner at Quadrant Estates, which is a private equity operating partner, and he specializes in asset management and development. His main project is a 200,000 square foot office in rural Mayor Master Plan at Nine Elms. And previously, Johansi studied and worked in architecture, specializing in luxury residential design before joining CBRE in 2014. There he worked in investment valuations for a year before joining CBRE's capital advisors. His role as a non-discretionary development specialist focused on structuring and executing real estate strategies to achieve financial and socioeconomic objectives. In this role, he worked to deliver over 5,000 residential units, 500 million pounds of commercial space. Key clients included the Crown Estate, Norges Bank, the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea. And outside of his professional role, Johansi is an honorary lecturer at UCL's Bartlett School of Planning. He's a visiting research fellow in the economics department of Goldsmiths University. He's an associate tutor at University College of Estate Management and vice chair of the Urban Land Institute Committee. And not surprisingly, after hearing all of that in 2020, he was recognized by the British Council for Offices as the rising star of the year, alongside multiple awards for the role from the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors and the British Property Federation. Wow, a great, great CV, Johansson, <laughs> and I'm delighted to have you here today Thanks, to, have, to have a conversation. Um, I'm loving being here, and Ken, I mean, to be fair, I'm inspired by the work that you're doing, so I'm super excited just to talk to you and hear about what you think as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, we're going to have a good chat today. I think what we're going to do is maybe just try to talk about a few things. I think a few themes, one um, around inspiration, mm-hmm. uh, another around some of the work that you're doing. I'd love to hear some of the, 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 the projects you're involved in and the work that you're doing. And we're, we've got to touch on the future of offices. You know, everybody in the world needs to talk about that. We're part of the, the BCO uh, series here, so we need to be talking about the future of offices. And also about mentoring. So mentoring, I think uh, you're, uh, we'll come on to that, but uh, you know, part of this is about you know, inspiring other people. Um, and I think mentoring is going to be a big theme for us to talk about. And we'll finish off talking a little bit about purpose. And I think okay. um, we'll use that as a kind of a structure for the conversation, if we may. Yeah, um, that's good. So I thought maybe, you know, inspiration for me, I think is, is it strikes me that is a really big thing in your life because you've gone from being an architect or trained as an architect and working as an architect, you changed careers, you decided to move into the world of investment and development. And I just, you know, very curious kind of what inspired you to want to kind of make sort of those kind of moves really. Yeah, so um, I have always worked somewhere along, I was going to be an architect since I was the age of eight. So my dad's a town planner. I was going around sites from a child and I always knew that I loved buildings and I, I liked taking things apart. So it was either, I was either going to be an engineer or an architect and then I decided architecture is the one, go forwards that. Yeah. Um, and then when I started working in architecture, I realized that I, I really enjoyed understanding the wider things that drove the, the building. So not just the physical fabric of the building, but also the financial constraints around it, the planning considerations, the political implications and everything that goes with delivering a building. And I also wanted to be the one who, who kind of drove the decision-making process and taking the risk in terms of, well, I think this should be an office. or I think it should be a hotel. 
and doing all the financials and the implications around that and then delivering that space. So um, yeah, that, that kind of what, is what drove moving from architecture to, to the investment and finance side. And were there, were there any individual um, moments in life that kind of made that happen or, or maybe, or were there any people or? There's one, one person in one um, experience. So the person was my, um, my part one um, tutor, not tutor, but the person who watches you whilst you're doing your part one experience. So you do architecture, you do your three year bachelor's and you do a year out. And so I was doing my year out and um, he mm-hmm. could see that I was clearly very keen. He's like, Johans, I think you actually prefer a wider experience than, than just architecture. I think what he was trying to tell me is that you're clever and you're not dumb, but you're going to be a very mediocre architect. So you should look at something <laughs> better to do. And so um, I followed that guidance because I, because I knew he, I, I took him, took him at his word. And um, I applied for the CBRE uh, internship the night before it closed. Before that day, I did not know who CBRE were. If you asked me what a surveyor was, I thought it was a guy who came to your house to fix the um, the, the gas or to uh, sure. to measure some sites. So if, if for for my sins, um, I got the internship, and I and that's almost a second experience. Well, that is a second experience. That CBRE internship, I I sat in capital advisors. I sat next to um, an ex-fund manager who was the head of the team, Tony Martin, a development manager, a accountant who worked in debt and equity, and a surveyor. And those three guys blew my mind. I did not know that you could do all those weird and wonderful things with real estate and the things that we were getting to do from financial returns to socioeconomic returns. Just, it was just, there's so many interesting things that were connected to buildings that I knew I wanted to be in that space. And that was all I needed. I converted from UCL and the rest is history. Fabulous, fabulous. And I think we had a discussion the other day, didn't we, about kind of my experience and that sort of, you know, the, th- the thing that inspired me in, in my life was probably when I joined Fitch. Uh, right, yeah. Age. When I came to this country from America, I was a young whippersnapper architect. So I could, <laughs> thought I could design it and do anything. And then the first proper job I had in, in the UK was with a company called Fitch. And they were a very, very large, and still around today, very large retail design practice. Yeah. And it was the first, you know, I sat in an, I think it was the first architect, architect trained person they, they had ever employed, but this was a business of incredibly creative and inspiring people. They had interior designers, they had product designers, they had strategists, they had statisticians, they had yeah. um, um, uh, um, other sort of um, technical designers, they had um people involved in all you know, psychology because they were designing retail experiences and retail products. And they did everything from just from understanding the market to understanding how people behaved and understanding, you know, the um, color theory and everything you can imagine. And so it was, yeah. it was a world of bringing together lots and lots of disciplines into one office and just being incredibly inspired by everybody sitting around you and working with you. And it's, for me, it kind of opened my eyes to the world of, you know, you realize you can't do it all yourself. Working with yeah. other great, talented people is actually the way to be better yourself. And, you know, and it's up to the you know, really important thing for people to, to recognize your colleagues or, and your, your friends and people that you work with are, are, are great sources of, you know, developing your own career. And I'm curious, Kim, with, with that experience, your, your design morals when you went in would obviously have changed throughout that process as you saw other people's work. And as what that... How easy was it for you to kind of take on board the wider spectrum of work? Because I found as you come in and the commercial points come in, you go, oh, actually, I can't put a massive lobby like that because it might actually impact my gross to net. Whereas as from the architecture side, that's beautiful and that's, that might make the space better. How did, you, how did you work or get to that compromise? 
or if, if, if it is a compromise? Well, I, you know, it's not a compromise. I mean, you, I think, I think you have to start big and then get narrow. I think, mm. I think the worst thing a designer can do is just all of a sudden be blinking, going, "No, we've got to start there because that's that's got to be the right answer," um, and other constraints are going to stop me from doing anything beyond that. I think, I think you've got to go for the big idea first, and then if the if the big idea has certain constraints or certain things that actually narrow it down, whether it's financial or timing or uh, you know the client's desires and wishes, you know, you 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 manipulate things and you get them to the right answer at the end, but. I yeah. think you know um, we shouldn't be afraid of developing and pushing big ideas. Agreed. Uh, I, I think that's you know uh, we, we we owe it to to everyone you know the community we owe it to our clients we owe it to ourselves to to try to push 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 and come up with the ideas. Yeah. No, yeah. no point employing an architect and just to draw a drawing that you've thought of yourself if you're the client. You know, yeah. You want you yeah. want architects and designers and creative people to come up with ideas you've not thought of. Yeah, and and to come together to bring something great that's greater than yeah. some of the, some yeah. of the parts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great. So, um, tell us a bit about some of the work you're doing. Then I'm I'm fascinated with um, you know, Thirty South Colony, great project. Also, the current project at Nine Elms. Tell us a bit yeah. about those. Yeah, so Thirty South Colony is about four hundred forty thousand square feet of uh, heavy refurb, um, well, extensive refurb, and then extended up. Um, office space in Canary Wharf and Nine Elms is um, 200 plus square feet of um, office ground up in um, the Royal Mail Mass Plan across from the Battersea Power Station and right next to the new Garden Market. Yeah. And I guess the, the similarity between both of them is, is they're both in areas that are relatively either unconventional for offices being um, plot A or areas that are looking to redefine themselves in, in Canary Wharf. I remember mm -hmm. as a student going to Canary Wharf thinking that mm -hmm. it's a sterile space at the time. And it, was, it had a perception of that in the sense that it was, it was very much, um, it came as, as one. And now um, YY London, which is a, the 30 South Colonnade project, that will change the game in terms of how it feels. And our, I, great architecture should make you feel something. And I feel like the, I like the, the, the feeling and the, the vibe of, of, of both projects are really aiming to make you come to the office and feel something, whether that's inspired, whether that's, that's collaborative, whether that's relaxed, it all kind of, we're all, we're making it, we want to, it's a destination. We all know that we can work from home now and not, not getting into the future of office because like, I don't want to meld into that conversation. But um, like all of the, we have extensive, um, planting in all of them. There's there's terraces on all the floors, the roof terrace as well. There's various places that you can go to work. And in line with the tenant fit out, you have a very sustainable building. That's also a great space to feel and work. And I, yeah, I just think they're really excited. I, I can't wait to, to, to go um, to see them when they're finished. Mm -hmm. And frankly, yeah, I, I, want, I want to be spending a lot of time in them when they're done. Yeah, I'd love that, you know, the 30 um, colonnade is, is a great example of repurposing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, there's, and I, you know, I think there's going to be a huge, huge uptick in highly innovative, creative repurposing of existing buildings. And I think it's, it's probably going to be one of the major movements, of course, over the next 10 years, I think, because we do have a huge amount of stock, like all of Canary Wharf or a vast amount of Canary Wharf and other parts of, of London and, and, and other regions, cities that, you know, buildings, you know, um, 
you know, from a from a sustainability point of view and from a just um, uh, you know giving something back to the you know, the community point of view, I think you know, repurposing is going to be really really massive, and I think that's a very good example of that. It, it, it is. I mean, there's so much energy that goes into that building. And so being able to use the, the core and this, the structure of it and, and repurpose it in a, in a way that actually still provides for the future is it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And, and kudos to the team for being able to do it because it's, it's a technical um, marvel. I, I look around and think that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've uh, at MCM, we've had one as well just recently completed uh, the, the headquarters of Anglo American De Beers in Charterhouse Street, which was a yeah. completely strip it back to the concrete frame reclad extend move things around and move the cores around and, and just you know effectively it looks now like a brand new building but it has mm-hmm. yeah the embedded energy that was saved um through the frame and everything else has been an incredible sustainability story i think and um and uh, you know and i think we'll see a lot more of that a lot yeah. more of that in our industry and, and good for good for it i think it's yeah. it's about it's, it's a good thing um do, do you think because both of the your, your projects were probably initiated pre-pandemic yeah did anything change during the course of the design process or construction process during you know because of you see the way people are using buildings and the purpose of the building or the focus of the um change during the course of the project at all yeah so i'll focus on maybe on part a for that one because i I was in that process when it it happened yeah um so yeah people people are going to occupy their buildings in a different way now and i think Buildings need to be more of a platform. Well, they always were going towards that, but it, it catalyzed that process in the sense that um, there needs to it needs to be a platform to be able to work in various ways and uh, work flexibly. And so there's the physical things that we changed. So we added opening windows to all the floors. We made sure that all the um, the ventilation and mechanics are separated per floor. So if you, if there's everything anything on one floor, nothing gets spread to another. You can walk from the door to your desk to the bathroom without touching a surface. So Things like that makes just helps people feel more comfortable when they're in the space. Right. But then, in terms of giving people ownership of the building, normally your reception is a vast open space where it's, it's kind of proclaiming the power and the magnificence of the building. And we gave that over to the to the occupiers in the sense that it's a massive lounge, and so you can come and feel comfortable. You can work downstairs. You can mm. you, you can blend into the coffee area or whatever the amenity is going to be, and just feel like you you as an occupier own that space and can take it up through the building. So we really tried to, to, to push that vibrancy through and we're gonna work with the future occupiers to do the same on all the floors. Great, yeah, really interesting, really interesting. I, I think um, uh, um, it, it you know, kind of leads us into looking at you know, the buildings. It's not just the physical environment, isn't it? It's, it's the kind of, yeah. it's almost the services and the, and the you know, and how how you manage the space and how you you know the um, the, the amenities, like you say, that uh, you offer to the tenants is really just as important as the the quality of the look, the look and the feel of the building. Yeah, I mean, so that that's also part of the design that was there anyway, but it it's been it's it's helped because it's allowed me to go carte blanche and just go wild on it. I th- I think um, buildings should be platforms for partnerships, and if you think about, I'm never going to be the best coffee shop or the best laundry provider or dry cleaner but those guys are out there we can find them and there's a mutual there's a mutual benefit to partnering with them to say actually here's our building we have 300 cyclists potentially coming in every day they're going to need clean clothes do you want to do a laundry service we'll build you in the space our our occupier gets a great service they the service provider gets a great um client base everybody wins yeah. And so it's just it's just being able to be a make sure the building's flexible enough to yeah. allow the yeah. various things 
yeah. you want to have parcels delivered to the to the office, that's great. And also you can have it sent back through the post. That that all that kind of ease of, of occupying a space. We just want to think about that and bring the best people in to do it. Yeah, perfect. Great. I, I don't know if you read the um uh, the, the paper that um, that I produced or we produced yeah. MCM um, that one of them uh, there was about you know what's what's the purpose of of the office and one of the one of the uh, elements that we described as potentially um, well actually this was related to what's the purpose of the city how do you get people coming back into the city coming you know using the city um, and and related to workspace um, we wrote a piece that actually the theme was members not tenants. If you yeah. think about it, if you treat your, if you treat your as a developer or a fund, if you treat the people that occupy your buildings and your portfolio as members rather than tenants, yeah, all members of a, a private club effectively, they're your yeah. private club, and you because you have the buying power of hundreds or thousands of people, you can do what you've just described, and that's absolutely perfect. You can you can negotiate great deals with coffee suppliers or dry cleaners or those things, but I think there's also lifestyle products that potentially I think. Uh, landlords and developers can be doing. You could probably ne negotiate you know, great terms with Netflix and Uber Eats and, yeah. um, and other sort of things that are more about people's lifestyles when they're away from the building. So if you help yeah. support their lifestyle when they're not even in your building, yeah. I think that's, that would be an incredible sort of win-win. You know, and I could see that being something that uh, landlords, it's not just on a building by building basis, but it's across your entire portfolio. You took all the buildings that Quadrant Estates own and all the occupiers and all your buildings, I, I guess the numbers are probably in the tens of thousands of people that yeah. occupy your buildings. If they were all part of the Quadrant Estates Club and they could have access to, you know, these kind of amenities that support their lifestyle as much as their, their work, I think you'd be into a real win-win. So there's yeah. a free bit of, free bit of um, <laughs> uh, cons consultancy advice and, and good luck. And, <laughs> Sounds good. Pay, didn't even have to pay for that, you answer. But anyway, I'll let you know how it goes. I'll let you, we're on the journey, we're gonna we're gonna go hard. At. <laughs> anyway, so it kind of brings us on to looking at you know future of offices and purpose and those sort of things. It's yeah, it's been debated and talked about almost too much, I think, in some in some circles. But how are you feeling about things going forward? I think we I, everybody can look at their own experience and answer that question themselves. Frankly, I think five days at home is a bit much, and I think that after a while, you do want to interact with your colleagues. Those the um, the random conversations that you have in the lift, the the this is the random conversations you hear, you overhear that you that weren't even intended for you. It's learning, it's it's learning, it's interacting. I think um, equally for young the younger younger generation, you need that um, connectivity to the seniors to understand to learn from them because that's that's what the office is for. It's a platform for interacting with your colleagues for innovation, and that all kind of comes from being together. Zoom is great. It helps. It helps things. So, like, I used to have to go to Birmingham once a month for for an hour long meeting. That wouldn't happen today because you just have Zoom, and that's socially acceptable, and that's that's great, and it helps that. But can it help you ask a five minute question when you're just there going, "I'm really struggling with this thing. I just need to tap on a partner's shoulder to ask a question." If I have to schedule a Zoom call in for that and get it in the diary, it, it's it's less. It makes it less natural. It makes it, the questions build up a bit more, sure. and things don't flow as well. So, so. Do I think there's a future for the office? I think I'll let everybody else ask their own question. For me, there is. I'm, I'm here now, um, and I just, just if, if just in the terms of wider lifestyle as well, in terms of being able to go out in the evenings, if you come and live in a big city, especially, you're doing it because you want to enjoy the benefits of that city. Mm -hmm. And so I can go to dinner, and I have the widest array of the best in class, and that's why I love London. 
Yeah. And so it's so much easier for me to do it when I'm just here. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. And I, I, and I think you used the expression earlier um, that the office is a destination. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I've, I've also said that in, in some of the things that I've written recently that the office is now a destination. It's not a routine. Mm. You know, you need a reason to go to the office. It's and the, and the, the pool, and I think landlords and developers uh, and funds have a, are, are now creating environments that actually give you the you know the reason to be there. But the city is also the reason to, to go into the I mean, yeah. as you just said, you know, going into cities is, is a is a marvelous experience, and I think people want to have those kind of experiences. And I think, um, uh, you know, I think you you know, there's a bright bright future for offices. It, you know, we we need them and we need them. But I think they I think they will be, and they are going to be different. They're used in different ways, and they will be different. And I think the I think the quality levels um, are going to keep going up and up and up. I think we'll yeah. find that, you know, if uh, you know, you know, buildings and, and environments that are not of high enough quality, I think will suffer. So yeah. I think we're going to probably see, you know, you know, individual letting let, letable spaces might be slightly smaller for some companies who may decide they don't need quite as much space for their their headquarters. However, the buildings will be full. There'll just be more occupiers in the same building, uh, taking smaller spaces. But I think the quality level certainly is, is going to be one of the, the key drivers. I think people want to be in places that are you know, that feel good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, a massively exciting place to be. And it's, I know um, it might come across as biased, but it's in the context of I joined Quadrant to build speculative offices at the start of the pandemic when everything was kind of shutting down. So yeah. I have every faith that it's going to go from strength to strength. I think there's also going to be a big push in the regions, though. And I think this is kind of goes back to one of the other kind of themes that I've got around what I call gig companies. And I think the emergence of gig companies will and is already starting to happen where organizations realize that um, you know their recruitment policies in the past um, pre-pandemic were always you employ your employees because they live within commuting distance to your office yeah well, that's no longer the case anymore you don't have to do that anymore um, and I think we're going to see people uh, being employed uh, to work for companies and organizations that, that that can live virtually anywhere I mean it is true you know the, the, you know, the, the, you know the, the world almost becomes your catchment area in, in, in theory um, but also I think people moving to areas of, of the country and regions of the country that are less expensive particularly if they you know they have a lifestyle or a family or uh, you know age they may want to move to different parts so I think some of the regional cities um, within the UK are going to see a, a big uptick I think in and people wanting to live and, and work in, in different parts of, of, of the country. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's going to vary based on profession, though, because so our lawyer, our lawyers, uh, they know our buildings that we're building. So they've been there, they've been around the site, so they've, they've seen it, they understand London. So could I hire a law firm in Karachi to do it with the same comfort? Probably not. And, and obviously, then you, you also have the yeah. qualifications as well that, that um, need sure. to be adhered to. But then, yeah, if, you, if you're doing graphic design and you're doing a picture of a, a yeah. bird or a building or whatnot i, I fully agree i think i think it, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be a wide spectrum of how it's applied and companies and how they apply it and i think it's yeah it's gonna be curious to see how it all pans out yeah yeah and the other big theme i think with you know the future is is, is definitely around esg or sustainability yeah. and uh, social purpose and and all of those kind of elements coming together and i think you know um you know, the whole world is kind of moving to really realizing this isn't just a, a marketing spiel and it's not just a, you know, a, a something you put in your annual report to say that, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're responsible. I think people genuinely 
uh, and organizations are genuinely realizing it makes a big difference in terms of recruiting people, makes a difference yeah. in standing for something that, that uh, has, has a purpose, that is meaningful, and people want to work for organizations like that. So I think it's, um, uh, and, and the buildings, therefore, they, they occupy also have to be a reflection of their values. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do think that, um, you know, responsible developers are, are absolutely on that sort of, um, that message. All the value is driven by the occupier, and that's that occupier is the individual. So, if the individual places value on social um, well-being or diversity or whatever, that yeah. value gets pushed up to their lamp to their um, the person who's choosing what space they're going to work in. It gets pushed up to into the into the rents, and it gets pushed up through. If you don't have a building that will work in that sense, you won't get the best values. And that, so, now that the individuals are pushing those values up the chain and making their voices heard, it's coming through to us, and we can go actually, yeah. We can spend the extra money on the on the opening windows and and the systems that help help make the yeah. space more amenable and more environmentally friendly because we know that the value comes through on the other side. It's all circular, and so um, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how, interesting time to see how that all that balances through. Yeah, I, I think it's been incredibly quick. I know it was, it was starting to happen before the pandemic, um, <clears throat> and maybe the pandemic has sped it up. I'm not sure, but I, I do think you know we the accelerated change in attitudes. I think of everybody from uh, you know from the grassroots individuals within organizations right through to the CEOs right through to you know all the advisors it's it's, it's been a, a monumental shift I think and it's uh, it's, it's, it's been a, a positive one it hasn't taken I thought it was going to actually take legislation uh, to make changes of, of the kind of significance that have happened over the last few years really happened but I think it's it's actually been almost the grassroots up um, so yeah that's, that's happened and, and made it happen exactly um, what, Let's talk a little bit about mentoring. I think you're a big fan of mentoring. Both yourself have you've been mentored, or you are being mentored, but you also are a mentor for others. I came into architecture with not a full understanding of what it actually was because I didn't actually know that many architects. And when I moved to the UK, I grew up in the US and Trinidad, and so when I moved to the UK, I didn't really have a network to to rely on. So I used I looked externally for people to help. Um, fill in the knowledge gaps. People have gone and done those things before. They've learned those lessons. And it's like, wait, hold on. I don't have to go through that struggle or that angst because you can just tell me and you can rain down all this knowledge. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. And so I sought out people from, I had a mentor who was just really good at placing, she was a project manager. She was really good at placing herself in a room and taking control of environments. I saw a meeting. I just literally asked, like, I noticed this thing. I think it's fantastic. How do you do that? And she would sit me down and, and talk about how when you enter a room, like what chair you should sit in based on what you're trying to say in that meeting, what you have to say and, and your knowledge base. And it's like various people have various skill sets and I want to try to learn from them. And everybody's more than happy to share because everybody loves to talk about those type of things. So, so why not? And then in terms of passing it down, and then when you can open the door for someone and help them to, to, to grow, it's a lovely, selfishly, it's a lovely feeling. You get to say like, I had an impact in that person's life. It, 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 it was only minimal. And so, um, it's a, it's a nice circular effect because somebody gives you advice, then you you make it your own, and then you pass it down to someone else. And I think, it, and if you make that circle and that loop go through, that that passing it on, it just it just makes the world a better place. And it, and at the same time, you're doing well for yourself as well. So it's a win win. Yeah, brilliant. And is there any particular you know significant piece of advice you've been given that you it stands out? Of the, you know, as a that's the gem of a piece of advice for my life and career or whatever. Yeah, um, the head of Brockton Capital, he was like giving a speech. He wasn't talking to me directly, but it was to a group of students. And he, he mentioned that um, 
the best real estate professionals are the balance of wingtips and work boots. And he was saying, essentially, you should be able to walk into the bank and understand the financial constraints of your building and then go to the site and understand the, the bentonite um, pace that's being put on top of your, cal- your, 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 uh, your, your pile cap and, be t- and move both ways. And, and that way you actually understand the full context of your building. Because when you have the pull of both, you can understand, oh, my finance is affecting that piece of, of concrete in this way. And, and you can move both ways and you can make full rounded decisions. And if you take that outside of this, he was talking to surveyors, but if you take that in the wider context of architects, planners, and everybody else, if you work in a silo, you're not gonna think of the full potential of the building. And, they, and if teams are aligned and understand the, the, the goal, not just the, you're working to stage four to sign, get your stage four sign off, but this building needs to go to this because our financing comes in here and our tenant comes in there and we're looking mm-hmm. to do this whole thing. If you understand that, you can, you can deliver something that's more realistic, more achievable, and you can just do more. And I, I, and I think the best buildings come from close-knit teams that understand the ultimate objective and everybody's aligned. Because if you have aligned, aligned with objectives with anything, relationships, work, everything, it, it always just helps move just smoother. Brilliant, brilliant. Really yeah. good. That's a great example. What about advice you may have given other people? I mean, the key one, the, the key one, so I had I had two students in who just finished up their internships last week. And the two things that stood out to me were um, one, if you join a company, as soon as you learn, and it was told to me, so I'm just passing it down. As soon as your learning curve flattens out, you either need to get a new role in that company or, or find a new place to be. Because you, you're suddenly not gonna be, you know, you're no good to the company and you're no good to yourself. Because when you stop learning, you stop challenging yourself and then you you become stagnant. But then on the wider front, it's it's about critical analysis. It's about taking things and somebody gives you a number. What does that mean? Like, how is that reflecting against our objective? What, like, it's taking that next level of why and how, and it's asking questions because with all that together, you can ask the right, a lot, of, a lot of jobs are about asking the right questions and then applying that answer to what you're doing. Mm. And I think if, if, you, if you take the answer, of, I'm, I was asked to do this room and I was asked to make this room X squared feet, that's one thing, but, but why have I been asked to do that? Because have you thought about this, this, and this? And if you have that critical analysis to understand the mm. full, just ask questions. And if you have a client that doesn't want you to ask questions, it's, I think that's a, a real shame because I want my team to challenge me because I'm, I, don't, I don't give, draw me this room. I say, we're trying to achieve this thing. This, we're trying to achieve this feel, this, 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 how do you think we do this? I think we can do it like this room, but I'm open to every other possibility because I don't want to limit down your design potential yeah. or any other creative solution. And so, yes, yeah, so I would think critical analysis and learning curves are, are big ones for me. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And I like that a lot. I mean, it reminds me of when uh, first job I ever had, I think, uh, uh, so my, on my year out in architecture yeah. school. And my boss said um, to me, he said, always challenge every solution from the past. It means don't just assume that's the way things are done is yeah. the right way. Exactly. You know, think, 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 and, and continuously learn continuously challenge yourself challenge everything around you um otherwise things just become stagnant so it's a, it a great little little one-liner that um, i think has helped me in my sort of career and I've, I've passed that down to others as well just as a little statement of you know, always challenge every solution from the past yeah and yourself you come up with the answer yourself, yeah. so actually is that answer that was good enough for the last project is that still relevant for this one and yeah. a lot of the times the answer is no because the context has changed yeah. And so you should, and even if it's just a slight tweak, it's that you're going towards greatness. It's like, it's, yeah. who's yeah. here to accept mediocrity? It's not, it, yeah. it's why? There's no need to. We have such potential. 
realize yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. That's great. No, it's Nothing that I have yet. I'm still, I'm still working on mine, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> uh, um, so I guess one of the you know, kind of the last things that might be worth us have a little chat about is, I, I call it kind of purpose, but maybe it's yeah. it's legacy. I think I think all of us should be in this world to do something, to leave something behind, or do some good yeah. for, for for some reason. And I, you know, I guess it's you know if you really look at yourself and look at um, what you're doing, either as a, in your life or your career, you know, the question would be, you know, what would you like to be known for? What would you like to actually leave behind and be known for? I mean, it's ambitious, but I, 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 it's it's people and places. So, like, I have a, I have a, I have a combination of skill sets and things that I enjoy that go towards getting groups together to do good things. And whether that's sports, whether that's mentorship, whether that's building buildings, and it happens that I love spaces. And so, I would love to have somebody walk into a space and go, "This is an amazing space. Something that makes me feel something," and go. Oh, I think I think that I think Yohansi worked on that. Or to be fair, if they they don't even have to remember my name, all they have to do is feel something in that space. Yeah, and that's good enough for me. Yeah. And and if and if that feeling is positive, great. And if it's negative, <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not. But, but I just want people to feel things when they walk into a space and feel comfortable and feel, yeah, just that the space was considered for them. Yeah, and um, that's what I'm really aiming to achieve. That's what we're aiming to achieve here at Quadrant, and I. I I think that's my purpose here. I think that's a very beautiful, yeah. beautiful way to say it. And I think, um, I think other people in the, in the world of property and design, you know, could certainly pick up on that same sort of message. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Let's let's, let's leave behind in a, a built environment that makes people feel good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, at MCM, we kind of defined our purpose as um, uh, designing a future that people love. It aligns, yeah. As, as, as simple as that, you know. Just because yeah. somebody said, you know, you're trying to like, how do you know what's our purpose? So you go, well, I think I said, you know, my, my wife asked me, said, what if you if you had to say it? And I said, well, I just want to create places that people love. Yeah, kind of slightly tweaked it to go, you know, designing the future that, that that people love because it's not always about the place; it's kind of about the experience. It can be other things as well. In terms of our business, we we can influence some of those. But yeah, so um, yeah, doing things for the built environment that people love and make them happy yeah brilliant. yeah that's brilliant well Beyonce, anything else that um any words of wisdom to leave with the next gen before we go <laughs> no i mean i guess i guess the main thing is 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 just being outgoing and i know that it's a, a privilege to have a personality that's 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 continually seeking to to meet and mingle with other people but your peers and you, this conversation they all add up to to things that help you grow and i would say anything that helps you to do that organizations like the bco the uli rcs all of those and even giving back knowledge when you have knowledge give passing it on i think it all reinforces a, a mutual gain in the sense that when you connect with people you grow and i think that growth you can't measure it and you can't you can't buy it and so if I had any to say anything, last points is just go out there and, and just have a chat and, and just make sure that you're constantly engaging with your peers and the, the industry because think just the good things come of it and you, you, you grow as a person. Brilliant. Well said.
Thank you very much. Delighted to have a chat with you today. And thanks, uh, I, hope to, I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as well. But uh, thanks very much, Johansi. All the best. Thank you. Take no, care. hope to keep in contact. Thank you very thanks. much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.